Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast for the foreign policy and global development communities and anyone who wants a deeper understanding of what is driving events in the world today. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. Enjoy the show. This February marked the third anniversary of the Algerian street protests and movement that led to the ouster of President Abdelaziz Bouteflika. Bouteflika was a fixture of Algerian politics and served as president since 1999. Needless to say, this was a huge turning point in modern Algerian history. The movement that led to his ouster is called the Harak, which means the movement in Arabic. And joining me to discuss the impact and legacy of this movement three years on are two scholars of Algeria's politics and economy. Andrew Farrand is a senior fellow with the Atlantic Council and author of the book The Algerian Dream. And Tinhanan El-Kadi is the co-founder of the Institute for Social Science Research in Algeria and a doctoral student at the London School of Economics. We kick off discussing the circumstances that led to the ouster of Bouteflika three years ago before having a broader conversation about Algeria's politics and economy today. I think you'll find this conversation uh, very informative. Uh, Algeria is not a place that is given frequent treatment in Western media, and I'm glad to take a moment to speak with two scholars of Algeria about recent political developments there and its broader significance to international affairs. All right, now here is my conversation with Andrew Ferrand and Tinhinan El-Kadi. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. 2019 was a really pivotal year in Algeria's contemporary history uh, because of the emergence of the Hirak protest movement in February of that year. But to understand why it happened, you have to go back a little bit earlier uh, and, and look at some events in the previous years. The president at the time was Abdelaziz Bouteflika, who had been in power for 20 years at the time and had steered Algeria out of a very uh, bloody period in the 1990s when many civilians lost their lives in a civil war. And Bouteflika, among many Algerians, is credited with with, uh, delivering Algeria to a more peaceful period. There was a fair degree of rising prosperity, uh, some new... Uh, consumer goods that Algerians were able to enjoy for for the first time in those years. Uh, Many people got connected to the internet. So a lot changed in Algeria in those years and much of it for the better. 
But along with that, there was an increasing perception among many people in the country that there was just an incredible degree of corruption at the top. Uh, inequality seemed to be worsening. And so frustration was building on a number of fronts. Uh, throughout those years, Algeria was not without protest. Of course, before the Hirak, there was a lot of localized um, sort of micro protests, if you will, that, that were around localized issues. So people had frustrations, but they tended to be uh, quite atomized and, and distinct. And what changed in 2019 was that uh, Bouteflika by that time had been sick for quite a number of years. It wasn't really clear even if he was running day-to-day -day affairs in the country. Many Algerians seemed to feel very um, uh, sort of wounded pride about this, that a country with as great a history as Algeria's shouldn't be led uh, by somebody in that situation. And so this combined with some of those frustrations around a lot of daily life issues uh, really kind of came to a head in the early days of 2019 when Bouteflika's candidacy for a fifth presidential term was announced. And um, this kind of crystallized for a lot of people a, uh, a moment of real uh, willingness to challenge the status quo and to ask for a rewrite of the social contract, if you will, and, and a lot of changes uh, in the very many foundational aspects uh, of the country. And so, so, so can I say, so, so it was perhaps the announcement that Bouteflika would run for another term, despite his ill health, there's there apparently some catastrophic health event, like maybe a stroke. In, in other words, he, he was just in very ill health and very old. And despite that all, uh, you know, announced or it was decided that he would run for a, another term. And this is sort of the, the, the spark, right? That's right. That was the catalyst, but building on a lot of deeper issues that had been accumulating over years. Uh, so, yes, that's right. Uh, and and Tin, can you take us back to 2019 as well? You know, you were there. You were, you know, on the streets. What was it like? Like, what motivated those in the movement to take to the streets uh, so dramatically back then? Hi, can you hear me? Yes. Great. Well, to add to what Andrew was saying, uh, in, in 2019, there was like a deep sense of humiliation that you had a population that was overwhelmingly young. So in the latest statistics, it seems that like over 70% of Algerians are under, under 40. And uh, there was this sense that having a, a sick president who is almost lifeless running the country uh, you know, against the backdrop of huge corruption scandals and increasing inequality uh, was just, you know, uh, the extra drop that made Algerians take to the streets. And so you had millions of people from all classes, uh, social backgrounds, political orientations, ages and genders demonstrating across the country. So it wasn't just in Algiers, but across the whole country. And the demand was uh, initially to, to prevent Bouteflika from running for a fifth presidential term, but very much, uh, like very early on, demands escalated to, to you know, ask for regime change. And we had slogans such as, uh, which literally means uh, all of them shall be removed from power, 
uh, other slogans, you know, echo the slogans of the Arab Spring, such as uh, which means that the, the people want a uh, regime change. And, and these protests lasted for, for a while and only came to a halt due to the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. But only the protests stopped, but the spirit of, of, of the Herak very much continued and carried on uh, in, in 2021. Uh, so there was a lot of attempts by the regime to, to remain in power, and there were several attempts to, to introduce superficial institutional change. But this very much failed to, to you know, make Algerians uh, stop protesting. Uh, however, the problem is that the, the Algerian political establishment is notorious for its resilience. And um, this is what Algerians call le pouvoir, you know, the power. And this could be maybe best described as a, you know, an opaque network of military generals and political uh, elite and some economic elites. And, and this pouvoir, this political establishment has, has, with some variations, managed to rule the country without interruption since since independence, really, from France in 1962. Uh, and so, you know, th th there were loads of attempts to, to maintain the regime in place, but the, the, the spirit of the Herak is still very much present nowadays because um, there has been no uh, significant change and Algerians are uh, overwhelmingly disappointed by what, what happened, uh, you know, since 2019. Um, there was, um, you know, a, a clear roadmap that consisted of having presidential elections followed by constitutional, uh, you know, the constitutional amendment that did nothing in changing the, the, the structures of power within the country and actually further entrenched the president's uh, power. Uh, and, and nowadays, uh, you know, like the, the most people feel disconnected from, from the, the, the political, um, you know, from their political leaders. And yeah, the, the crisis of legitimacy has remained untouched. Well, well so, so let me ask you this then. So you have this, this pouvoir, this, this sort of opaque network of power brokers. Sorry, I'm getting feedback from you. Uh, just go go on mute for a second. Thanks. Uh, so, so let me ask you this. Um, so, you have this this uh, pouvoir, this this sort of elite network of opaque power brokers, as as you describe them, uh, that you know did I, I suppose you know decide that Bouteflika has to go, and and he went. Um, what? opportunities in that interregnum in the in, in the days after Bouteflika's ouster were there to impact to influence uh the pouvoir in, in like a more meaningful way towards real reforms and uh, Tin, you can uh, unmute yourself yeah Thanks. So in 2019, many would argue that, you know, Algeria had a historic opportunity to, to really dismantle the, the regime and go towards, you know, meaningful uh, structural change. Uh, however, the issue was that uh, the, the military and at the time, uh, General Ahmed Gaid Saleh, uh, was adamant that the, the regime and, and the system would continue. Um, one needs to understand that, um, and here, to be honest, I think both Andrew and I are quite pro-Herak, so I'm going to 
try and play the devil's advocate and present the counter argument and a very common critique that people make um, towards the Hirak. And it's the idea that the popular movements actually failed to come up with representatives and that it did not put forward any serious alternative for political change or for a peaceful democratic transition. And this is why it failed to achieve success and the regime was able to, to stay in, in power. Uh, but if, if it's true that the Herak is very much a horizontal movement, it is a leaderless movement, it's simply not factual to say that the movement did not put forward roadmaps for achieving a peaceful political transition. There were actually dozens of potentially fruitful political initiatives in, in 2019, but also in 2020. And, and this is just a recent one that, that appeared uh, yesterday. The, the problem was that all these uh, political initiatives emerging from the Algerian civil society were, you know, faced a very stubborn army that perceives itself as the legitimate ruler of the country. And here I'm just going to say a little note uh, for your audience that might not know much about Algeria, is that the problem of, of you know, the resilience of this political system that, you know, has, has proven, you know, its inefficiency in developing the country and in creating um, you know, uh, decent living standards for, for, for its people's aspirations, at least, is that it's very much rooted in Algeria's colonial history and Algeria's path for independence. So the, the National Liberation Front, the FLN, Front de Libération Nationale, emerged in 1962 mainly as the sole actor with historical legitimacy because it played a critical role in the country's decolonization, right? And so after independence, it, it managed to, to centralize power and, and rule the country. And until today, more than, than 60 years after independence, uh, people still, you know, the, the army still perceives itself as the sole legitimate ruler of the country. And so it's a very hard system to dismantle. It's, it's a complicated system to, to overthrow. And, and so despite the many, uh, you know, roadmaps for achieving a peaceful democratic transition, the Herak has uh, so far failed uh, to implement any significant change. Uh, and, and Andrew, um, to what extent has um, the, the sort of regime's response to the Herak, um in terms of, you know, locking up leaders and, um, you know, imposing, you know, harsh penal sanctions on people involved in these protests and, and these movement leaders um, contributed to regime survival. I mean, it seems that the response to this, at least in recent weeks and months, has been increasingly repressive, even as we are approaching the, the third anniversary. Yes, it's an old playbook that uh, this regime in, in Algiers has used for many years. And you saw many features of the pre-Hirak period uh, repeated, intensified, sometimes adjusted in the years since. And we're certainly seeing that today uh, because for the last year, this crackdown has intensified substantially. And many activists, many civil society leaders, journalists, political party heads have faced uh, repression and been uh, hauled into jail on vague charges, uh, things like, you know, uh, 
hurting the national unity. Um, it, it's not really clear what that means. It's not really clear how you know uh, a single speech by a political party leader can can really change can really touch something that deep uh, in a country as big as Algeria, but that's the case. And there's also a, a new wrinkle to it all, which is that social media has given the uh, powers that be in Algeria a new sort of uh, playing ground to to chase down would-be dissenters. And there have been a lot of just average citizens arrested for Facebook posts and accused of uh, of similar crimes. And then in addition, uh, a couple months ago, we saw an, some changes to Algeria's penal code, which allows the government to essentially declare people a terrorist um, based, again, on vague criteria. So there's certainly been some uh, some changes that have en enabled the government to upgrade, if you will, its, its um, mechanisms of repression and control. And they've been using those quite extensively. And that's a big part of why the Hirak is not out in the streets today for the usual weekly series of protests that it was carrying on before the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, you saw a brief return to protest early in 2021, but that was quickly stomped out uh, through this crackdown. I mean, it seems, you know, based on, on what you and Intin are saying, that the sort of regime, the, the government and the pouvoir, that, that network uh, that upholds it, is as ensconced and as entrenched in power as ever. Is, is that fair? I think they're quite strong. Um, you do wonder sometimes when they take a, you know, 22-year-old unemployed guy uh, and, and throw him in jail for writing a Facebook comment and saying that he's... Uh, shaken the foundations of the state or something like this. Um, it doesn't exactly seem like those moves come from a position of strength. But uh, there are many ways in which the army has quite clearly maintained a monopoly on uh, control of the country. It has shown, as Tinhinen said, no willingness to, to negotiate. And uh, I, I share her belief that there were many useful proposals that were put forward by elements within the Hirak and within civil society. Uh, but unfortunately, they did not really get a fair hearing, I think, by by the army, which looked at people like civil society leaders quite disdainfully, frankly, and uh, didn't really take those proposals seriously. Algeria might be in a very different place today if they had. And I think it might be in a place that ultimately would be much more sustainable in the long term. Because the path that it is on today, uh, while it is deeply resilient, uh, this, this system that's in place today, as, as Tinhina has said, I believe that there are ways in which um, it's going to be very difficult to, to continue with business as usual um, as energy, global energy markets change, as uh, climate change, you know, takes over large parts of, you know, this part of the world of North Africa and, and really shapes uh, communities very strongly. So there are big challenges ahead. And many Algerians who I know who have continued to push for change in the last months are concerned, I think, primarily about this medium and long term and, and about Algeria's ability to weather what might come ahead. It's quite clear where things stand in the immediate term, but further down the road, there's a lot of challenges that that look quite daunting.
Well, well, can I ask you about one of those long-term challenges, climate change you just referenced? Uh, how does climate change or may climate change impact uh, the regime's you know, long-term hold on power, its, its survival? Algeria has significant problems with food security right now uh, because of its oil and gas wealth. For many years, it's been able to import large quantities of wheat and milk and other staple goods that it's not producing domestically. But those needs could rise dramatically in the future if local production uh, is cut back by drought. There's currently a very severe drought in, in the western part of the country and in Morocco. And the country has faced quite uh, bad drought in the last few years quite consistently. And so many people are concerned by the levels of reservoirs and, and the ability of the government just to to provide water for, you know, keep the, keep the pipes full across the country. And um, then you look at things like agriculture and the challenges are even deeper where this could considerably impact the country's food supply. Um, there's a large aquifer under much of southern Algeria, but that has been consistently dropping over the years. And many farmers in southern communities have expressed concern that this aquifer might be depleted and they won't be able to uh, conduct the sorts of traditional agriculture they have for, for many centuries in a lot of these desert communities. So there are serious uh, challenges on these fronts that I think many Algerians have heard of and are aware of, uh, and the government even has some plans on the table somewhere to, to do something about these. There are some plans to transition to green energy, et cetera, but it doesn't seem like those plans are high priorities right now uh, or that these concerns are being taken as seriously as they should be. And, and uh, Tin, sort of similarly, like to what extent is Algeria's economic situation linked to the regime's, you know, medium and long-term survival prospects? Yeah, I think this is the most important threat at the moment for regime survival. Um, so currently the situation, you know, in Algeria's economies is quite grim. Uh, although oil prices have experienced a rebound in recent months with, you know, the Saharan blend, I think, was selling at around $90 a barrel recently. But all economic indicators are moving to the red zone. Uh, the pandemic hit the Algerian economy quite hard. Lockdown measures and, you know, the fall in hydrocarbon prices in 2020 resulted in an important contraction of real GDP growth. I think it was around 5.5% or 6%. And, and there is very high unemployment rates at, at the moment. And this is a longstanding issue in Algeria and in, in the whole region, actually. But, you know, with lockdown measures, um, several jobs uh, disappeared. Hundreds of thousands of businesses had had to, to close down. And so the, the, the situation, the socioeconomic situation is, is really dire at the moment. Um, there's also a, a sharp fall in foreign reserves. I think at the moment it stands below $40 billion. And Algeria used to enjoy quite significant foreign reserves, you know, like before the 2014 drop in oil prices, it was estimated at around $200 billion. And, and you know, people could, could you know, afford a, a more... Um, you know, more goods and like could have better living standards than they, they do today. 
Um, there's a lot of uh, quantitative easing that was done over the past years. Uh, just in July 2021, I think the uh, central bank announced that it would print over 2,100 Algerian dinars. And this resulted in important inflation. So like the, I was just in Algiers recently and like the price of, of products increased sharply. And um, think recent numbers are saying that inflation is around 10%. And, and you could see this, like just walking in the streets, like poverty is on the rise, inequality is on the rise. And uh, many people among Algeria's youth actually are leaving the country. And this is a, a very uh, apparent uh, phenomenon. So the the Haraga, the, the people who, who cross the, the Mediterranean Sea um, without documentation, uh, are, are on the rise, and the shores of Spain have have received, uh, you know, hundreds of, of, if not thousands, of uh, Algerian young people in, in recent years because of a chronic lack of perspective in the country. And, and and the government has very much shown weak capacity to implement any serious economic reform. And in the current, you know, structure of, of, of power and the, the current crisis of legitimacy, this regime is simply structurally unable to produce development. And so we're in this... Um, you know, uh, phase where the government is just engaging in ad hoc superficial reforms that result in no meaningful economic change. Uh, and it's just keeping the country in an unviable, no freedom, no development situation. Uh, you know, in, in countries that have like similar profiles as Algeria, you'll often see the government um, when the coffers are full with oil wealth or energy wealth to, you know, sort of stall um, disgruntlement by the populace by, you know, increasing subsidies. Uh, are you seeing that, you know, in the wake of white rising oil prices, are you seeing attempts by the, the government to increase subsidies to ease the economic uh, and, and financial burdens that they're experiencing, as you just described, Tin? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. This is very common. You know, it's classic, you know, authoritarian oil rich country politics. So uh, at some point when uh, foreign reserves were depleting, uh, we've seen many subsidies and you need to know that the Algerian economy is a heavily subsidized economy, uh, one of the most subsidized of, of the region. And th- there were different like several uh, policy uh, policies to reduce subsidies, including in energy, uh, but also in, in some uh, staples and like essential goods. Uh, but recently, with the recent increase in oil prices, the regime is trying to obviously buy social peace. And an, an important recent measure that was introduced uh, in this regard was the creation of a fund for unemployed people. So now every uh, unemployed person in Algeria can claim uh, a stipend, like a monthly stipend, until they find a, a job. And, you know, the, the measure was just announced by uh, Abdel Majid Tabun, the, the current uh president, uh, you know, like last week before the third anniversary of the Hirak. So it's very symbolic. But clearly, you know, the government has not thought this through. You can see that the measure is not, you know, uh, very much applicable. It's it's complicated. And 
you know, th there is no strategy for for creating wealth and creating diversifying the economy and creating high value added uh, activities in in the country. There are very problematic business state relations in in the country. And uh, so far, we've seen that even though the discourse is, you know, supposedly pro-business, pro-investment, uh, on the ground, uh, you know, when you talk to people from the business community, the situation is quite grim. Uh, you know, that there are no large loans being given to entrepreneurs uh, hoping to invest in the country. And you even have some major investors um, you have some major investors in, in high value added sectors, such as the pharmaceutical industry, being jailed for their pro Herak uh, stance. You know, so it, it's not a pro investment context. And I, I think Algeria will struggle to, to really create the much needed uh, jobs for its millions of, of unemployed youth uh, in the current uh, political situation. Uh, Andrew. You know, we are speaking Wednesday, February 23rd. Uh, by the time people listen to this recording, frankly, even perhaps even by the time we finish this, this call, um, you know, things might have changed on the Ukraine-Russia front. Russia, for all we know, may have sent tanks over the border on the way to Kyiv. Or otherwise, there is just a tremendous amount of instability uh, right now and uncertainty uh, about what the future holds in that particular crisis. Uh, given that Algeria is an energy exporter and its economy and political economy is very much impacted by energy prices, um, to what extent do you think events in Russia and Ukraine uh, will impact the political economy of Algeria or otherwise uh, impact uh, Algerian politics? It's a volatile situation. As you mentioned, things are happening quite quickly. But what we know is that Algeria is a major producer of oil and natural gas, a good portion of which already goes to Europe. It's not one of Europe's largest suppliers, but it's a significant one. And it's one country that many uh, in Europe are looking to to fill the gap that might result if supply is cut off from Russia as a result of sanctions or uh, you know some other secondary measures related to a potential conflict there as, as seems increasingly likely. And we know that in the past weeks there have been a number of uh, a, a great deal of outreach by by European and, and U.S. diplomats to oil companies operating in Algeria, trying to establish whether and, and how much extra capacity they may have to, to ramp up quickly and provide gas and oil to Europe. So Algeria stands potentially to make uh, quite a large windfall if, uh, if events go that way. But... Um, there's there's concerns around that, of course. It's uh, it's good news in many ways because it means that Algeria can have more resources to share with its people. Nobody would uh, would 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 want otherwise. But I think the way in which those resources will come in directly into the government's coffers uh, to be redistributed through subsidy programs uh, it does have its downsides in that it encourages leaders to continue this kind of old school mentality uh, in which they offer handouts to the people in exchange for loyalty and social peace. And then maybe they get to keep some of the rest for themselves. Uh, the 
significant oil wealth of the country is is certainly something that uh, has long contributed to corruption. Uh, there were also some revelations just in the past week about some senior Algerian officials who were caught up in the, the Swiss leaks scandal uh, with secret bank accounts in Switzerland that had not been reported before. So Algerians know that uh, that this corruption exists. I think many of them are concerned you know that it that it persists today, despite the fact that the Iraq was followed by a uh, a supposed anti-corruption drive. Um, many of the uh, same patterns seem to exist today, and I think there's reason for concern that an influx of oil wealth at this time, uh, especially if it's not accompanied by any sort of nudges from foreign powers to to reform domestically within Algeria um, might ultimately contribute to hardening the system rather than encouraging it to to adapt to challenges ahead. Uh, so I'll have one last question for each of you. Uh, then you've uh, agreed to take some questions uh, from the audience. We should have some time for, for a few questions from the audience. Uh, Andrew, I'll, I'll stick with you and I'm going to pose each of you the, the, the same question. Uh, Andrew, you know, in the coming you know, weeks or months, uh, are there any key inflection points or decisions or otherwise key dates or moments that you will be watching for that will suggest to you either the trajectory of the Hirak movement or other, uh, uh, or the, the trajectory of, of Algerian politics more broadly? Like what's coming up in the future that you'll be looking towards? I think one obvious answer is July 5th, which will be the 60th anniversary of Algeria's independence. Uh, it's important to remember, as Tinhinan was describing earlier, that Algeria is a country founded on a revolutionary movement, uh, and it is very much a place where political legitimacy flows quite directly from the anti-colonial struggle. And so we can expect that this will be a major event in Algeria and um, a, a celebration, but also an opportunity for those in power to try to link themselves to this uh, this heroic struggle uh, from the past. And at the same time, I think it will be a moment when many Algerians will also have the opportunity to take stock and look back and, and ask themselves, um, what have we achieved in 60 years? And the country has evolved in many ways, uh, many of them positive. There's been an incredible amount of development on, on many fronts. But I do think that there are many Algerians who look at the country and its incredible potential, uh, both natural resources and human resources, and ask if that is really as good as it gets and as good as it could be, and if it could not be better with different leadership decisions. And this is where moments like that can really, I think, contribute to, to the kinds of reflection that um, perhaps some leaders in Algiers would rather their citizens not be engaging in. Uh, thanks. And, and, and Tina, over to you. Uh, what sort of events or moments or inflection points will be looking towards in the, in the coming weeks and months ahead? I'm not sure I would say there's any particular date that would be significant. I mean, yeah, surely like uh, the 5th of July is a symbolic date. It marks Algeria's in independence. But I think I, I do not, you know, uh, and as much as I would want to say the opposite, I don't see any significant change coming in the short term. 
However, I do think that the Algerian uh, political system is in a fragile position at the moment. And I think the most important inflection uh, would be socioeconomic. So the, the economic situation, I think, at the moment is uh, a very weak uh, front and that the regime will not be able to you know, rely on, on redistribution and it as it has done over the past decade to, to buy social peace. So there is very much growing anger within Algeria uh, for like the, the rapidly deteriorating uh, living conditions. And I think we can see some, some change coming from this front. However, at the moment, we can only hope for, you know, the, the, the current divisions within the system to result in a, a you know, an alternative roadmap or some sort of, of change or decision to open up the country. Because currently, this regime is unable to achieve socioeconomic change. And at the same time, it is imposing a very authoritarian model on, on the country. And so I do think that this situation is unviable. You know, it is not like in China where... Even though the country is extremely authoritarian, there has been a social contract based on growth and, and you know, uh, job creation and increasing uh, revenues for, for the Chinese population. The Algerian system is unable to do that. And as I said, it is, I believe, structurally unable to, to produce uh, sustainable long-term growth. And, and so I do believe that at some point an inflection is going to come from, from that front, from the socioeconomic front. And uh, yeah, hopefully, um, I, I, do, I do not believe that a country with the potential of Algeria will remain in the current status quo in the medium and long term. All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Andrew and Tin. That was uh, very helpful. And a big thank you to Andrew for reaching out to me. He's a listener to the podcast. I always love it when listeners are guests of the podcast. And if that's you, uh, please feel free to, to reach out to me if you have uh, an idea to pitch. I'd love to hear from you. You can hit me up on Twitter at Mark L. Goldberg or use the contact button on globaldispatchespodcast.com. All right. We'll see you next time. Bye.